so good again, I didn't know what to take from it. He begins by this. He says, all to which the people of God have been predestined in the eternal election of God, and all that has been secured and procured for them in the once for all accomplishment of redemption, all of which they become the actual partakers in the application of redemption, and all that by God's grace they will become in the state of consummated bliss is embraced within the compass of our union and communion with Christ. It is out of the measureless fullness of grace and truth, of wisdom and power, of goodness and love, of righteousness and faithfulness that resides in Him that God's people draw for all their needs in this life and for the hope of the life to come. There is no truth, therefore, more suited to impart confidence and strength, comfort and joy in the Lord than this one of union with Christ. Close quote. Now what we see in Galatians chapter 3 is that Paul explains this reality in a picture. And it is the picture that we desire to occupy ourselves with this morning. Not only through the sermon, but also through the sacrament of baptism. You see, beloved, we not only get to hear about this principle this morning, we get to see it. We get to witness it with our own eyes. The fact that baptism is so central to the practice of the church further verifies that it is so central to the Christian life. If one of the two practices is the act of baptism, along with the Lord's Supper, that we are to witness again and again and again, it just impresses upon our own minds and our own hearts how important this truth is for each one of us who believe in Him. And so we should not miss its significance for not only Victor and Brady this morning, but for each one of us who name the name of Christ. And so what I would like to do this morning is two things. First, I want to bring out the significance of this picture of baptism as we see it in Galatians chapter 3. And then I'd like to go on and describe one of the benefits of this being united to Christ that we see in this passage. It is one of many, but it is the one that Paul brings out here in our text. If you're following along this morning in your bulletin insert, the first thing that we will see this morning is baptism as a picture. Baptism as a picture. Notice it with me in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. The text says this, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. One of the questions that I would like to answer this morning is a very simple question. What is baptism? The word itself comes from the root word, bapto, which means to 
dip in or under and was closely connected to the first century practice of dyeing a material of clothing. In this practice, a piece of clothing was completely submerged in a particular dye so that the article of clothing took on the principal characteristic of that color of dye. If you baptized, so to speak, a white shirt in purple dye, that shirt would no longer be white, it would now be purple. So, baptizo, the word where we get the word baptism, literally means to immerse into something else. The Christian practice of baptism is also closely related to the baptism of John, which we see throughout the Gospels. And it signified a repentance and a preparing the way for the Jewish Messiah. One commentary said this about John's baptism. He said it is a powerful messianic awakening from which Christianity springs. John is preparing the people for God's imminent coming. His baptism is an initiatory rite for the gathering of the messianic community. And what we see from the Gospels is that John's baptism was most certainly done by full immersion, anticipating the symbolism which was to come in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Notice it with me in Mark chapter 1, verse 9, which you can find on the insert in your bulletin. Mark chapter 1, verse 9 says this, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Verse 10, And when he came up, Out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. The practice of baptism is intended to portray an object being completely overwhelmed by that which it is immersed in. Whether that be water or dye, or even in some passages, the Holy Spirit, and in others, pain. Whatever it is, this reality is intended to communicate that we are completely engulfed in that which we are baptized by. Now why does all this matter, you might ask? Well, because baptism symbolizes, hear this, baptism symbolizes our complete and entire inclusion into the person of Jesus Christ and His saving actions. When we think about baptism, we ought to see pictured our spiritual submersion into the person and work of Jesus Christ. Which means that everything that is true of Jesus in His saving work is also true of us because we were included in Him. 
in a real and supernatural way when he accomplished redemption. Just as a shirt, when it is immersed into purple dye, comes out purple, so we, as we are immersed in Jesus, come out wearing all of Jesus' saving benefits. And we see this reality of our inclusion with Christ in the grammar of the text before us. Notice it with me again in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. It says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Paul says here that we have been baptized into Christ. The into there is a preposition of location. And shows the spiritual relationship between us and Jesus. We were placed into Christ. He is the location of our spiritual baptism. Of which physical baptism is a picture. I often use a very simple illustration for this. Often I pull out a dollar bill from my pocket. I think I have a dollar bill this morning. And I place that dollar bill into this book. This book is now the location in which that dollar bill has been placed. And wherever this book goes, so the dollar bill goes. If the Bible is carried away in my backpack, so too the dollar bill is carried away in my backpack. If the book is tossed into the fire, so too the dollar bill is tossed into the fire. You see, the Bible and the dollar bill have essentially become inseparable. Beloved, we have been placed into Christ through baptism. So that whatever Christ has gone through, we too have gone through. If Christ is placed upon the cross, we too were placed there with Him. So that in a very real sense and actual sense, our sins have been atoned for in Him. And our nature, the old nature that is, has been done away with on the cross. Listen to Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Again, you can find it on the insert in your bulletin. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. But also, if Christ descended into the grave, so we also descended with Him. So that in a very real sense, our old man has died with Christ. And if Christ was resurrected to new life, since we were in Christ, we too have been resurrected to new life. Romans chapter 6 verse 8. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. But not only that, 
if Christ has ascended into the heavens and is ruling and reigning on high because we are in Christ, so too we rule and reign with Him from heaven. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Everything that is true of Christ in His redeeming work is also true of us because of our baptism in to Him. You can now see why John Murray said that the inclusion in Christ is the central theme of our redemption, from which all the benefits of Christ are realized on our behalf. What an amazing truth we get to witness this morning. Jesus Christ did not just make your salvation potential. He made it actual by including all of the redeemed in his saving work with him. That is why we can be confident this morning that our sins are forgiven because they were actually atoned for at the cross. That is why we can be confident that we will walk as Jesus walked Because we were actually raised to new life with Him in His resurrection. It is why we can be confident this morning that one day we will reign with Him. Because we are already reigning with Him in our position in Christ. And here is the application, you see. All of our confidence in this life and in the life to come, is based on the abilities of Christ and our inclusion into those abilities as we are baptized into Him. He is the source of our spiritual blessings. There is no hope in the old man. There is no hope in your own personal righteousness. There is no hope in your good works before God. There is only hope in Jesus. And what Jesus has secured for those who believe in Him. That is why the Gettys sing, In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, and my song. And this is why we practice baptism by full immersion. It is the best picture of the reality of Jesus Christ for those who trust in Him. As both Victor and Brady go down into the water, it signifies their death with Christ, being fully immersed in the saving realities that Jesus Himself secured for them. And as they are raised up again out of the water, they are raised up to the reality of their resurrection in Jesus, so that on the basis of His work and His work alone, 
they might walk in newness of life. What a beautiful picture we get to witness this morning. Now we see this inclusion into Christ comes with one blessing in particular, at least that we see in this passage in Galatians chapter 3. If you're following along in the insert in your bulletin, not only do we see baptism as a picture in this text, but we also see those who trust in Christ become Abraham's offspring. They become Abraham's offspring. Notice it with me in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit says this through the Apostle Paul. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. In these two verses, we see the reality of our inclusion into Christ manifested in two very important ways. The first, we notice in verse 28, that there is a definite break from our old identity. And then in verse 29, we see secondly that there is an inclusion into a new identity on the basis of Christ. Let's look at this first, this break from our old man, our old identity. Notice it with me again in verse 28. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying here is that once you were placed in Christ, you were so inextricably linked to Him that you lost your primary connection to your old identity. Your identity in Christ is so firmly fixed to who you now are, that all the other secondary realities of your life have become a subset for your true existence. If you are in Christ, you are no longer a Jew or a Greek. That is, your ethnicity has been completely overshadowed by your sonship. Paul says, you are no longer slave or free. That is to say that your present conditions are completely overcome by your heavenly position. He goes on to say that there is no male or female. That is to say that your social status on this earth is completely Dwarfed by your citizenship in heaven. All of this is true because you have been included in Jesus Christ, who is Lord over all. If you are in Christ, then you are more than conquerors 
over your daily struggles and realities through Him who loves you. Now, there are so many applications for this truth, but I want to look at only one this morning. Beloved, we must view our secondary realities on this earth in light of our true identity in Christ. Let me say that again in case you're taking notes and you want to jot that down. We must view our secondary realities on this earth in light of our true identity in Christ. What do I mean by that? I mean that your experience in this earthly realm pales in comparison to your reality in Jesus Christ. If you are a slave on this earth, which was a reality for some of Paul's audience, then you must understand that your servanthood to an earthly master is so far inferior to your servanthood to the master of the universe. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. And therefore, you must view your earthly experiences in light of your eternal perspective. Listen carefully, brothers and sisters. We are not victims. We are victorious in Jesus Christ. Now this is not to lessen the reality of suffering, but it certainly puts it into perspective. When you understand that all of your spiritual blessings have already been secured for you by your inclusion into Christ, then all of your suffering on this earth is preparing you to enjoy heaven and what Christ has accomplished all the more. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Hear this, beloved, and believe it. This life and all the experiences that go with it is not your life. Your life is hidden in Christ. But this also means the flip side. If you don't find yourself in Christ this morning, then all you have is this life. And all the blessings of eternity escape you unless you believe in Jesus this morning. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1-4 through says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, Not on things that are on earth. 
For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Beloved, this means that all the abuse that you might take from this world, all the suffering that your mortal body inflicts upon you, all the mental and spiritual strain that this life demands are given to you by God to constantly remind you of your spiritual inheritance in Christ. Paul says, set your mind, focus on the things above, where your life is. In suffering and hardship, the old man is stripped of his power. And the new man gains a greater appreciation and acceptance of his heavenly home. This is why we can stand in the face of those who persecute and abuse us. Because no matter what they take from us, whether our possessions or our dignity, whether our life or our loved ones, they can never take away from us the immeasurable riches which we have in Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It is through stripping us of the worldly benefits that God gives us more of Himself. But this leads then to the second way that our identity in Christ is manifested. And it's our inclusion into the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant. Not only are we separated from our primary identities in this life, but we are also thrust into a new identity. Now these are not two different realities. Because we know that from the beginning, God always desired to have a people for himself that would see God as their ultimate delight and blessing. And this promise is fulfilled in a very unique way as we look at Galatians chapter 3. This promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Look at it again, Galatians chapter 3 verse 29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to promise. You see, God always desired to have a people who would love Him more than all that this world has to offer. And in order to secure these people, He sent His Son into this earthly existence in order that he might live a perfect life. A life towards God. A life that desired and delighted in God. And that he would go to the cross and die for the sins of those who believe in him. 
And in so doing, Christ secured those blessings that God promised to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17, if you'd like, turn with me there so you can see it for yourself. It's found on page 11 in your pew Bible, your chair Bible. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1 through 8, where we see God's ultimate intention for His people through the offspring of Abraham. Genesis 17, verse 1 says this, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, verse 4, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come for you from you. Verse 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. Hear this, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be there. You see at the end of, birth, of both verse 7 and verse 8 that God's intent for calling a people to Himself is that He would make them happy in Himself. That they would embrace Him and His blessing to them. God's desire has always been to call a people to Himself upon whom He could pour out the ultimate blessing of his presence God's desire has always been that God would be our greatest desire and delight that all other earthly enticements would pale in comparison now this is where Galatians 3 is so important because we see in Galatians 3 how God executes this plan And it is through Jesus Christ. We become Abraham's offspring by being placed in Christ. The ultimate intention for Abraham's progeny. If you are in Genesis chapter 17, flip back over to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 verse 16 says this. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say 
and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ? Look at verse 29 of Galatians chapter 3. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, singular, heirs according to promise. We are Abraham's offspring because we have been placed into Christ who is the offspring. The reason we can inherit the blessings of Abraham is because Jesus inherited the blessings of Abraham with his perfect obedience. And we have been placed in Christ, which baptism is a picture of. You see, beloved, we have an intimate relationship with God because Jesus had an intimate relationship with God. And we have been placed in Him. All that is true of Him in His loving relationship to the Father is true of us because we have been united to Christ. Jesus' delights are our delights through faith. God is calling us this morning to trust in what Jesus has secured for us in salvation. This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus has secured everything for us. Our separation from this world and our connection to God. And since we have been placed in Him, which is pictured in baptism, it is as if we really secured those blessings as well. The reason we practice baptism by immersion on the basis of the faith of confessing believers is because we believe this is the greatest picture of the believer being immersed into the person of Christ and therefore receiving all of the blessings that are secured on our behalf because of what Jesus has done for us. And if you're here this morning and you don't enjoy those blessings, may I plead with you, trust in Christ. Give yourself to Christ. Forsake all your good works and trying to please God with them and cling to Christ and all that He has done for us in His death, in His burial, and in His resurrection. Those are the realities that we get to witness this morning in the baptism of both Victor and Brady. May Jesus Christ receive all the glory. Victor Brady, you can now be dismissed. Make your way downstairs to get prepared as we close in a word of prayer. Let us pray together. Father, we are so thankful for who you are and what you have done for us. Father, again this morning, if there would be anyone here that doesn't know your son Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, 
I pray that the Spirit might convict their hearts. I pray that the Spirit might move among us and might bring to those who reject the realities of Christ a sense of repentance. That they would forsake their own good works in order to receive the blessing of God and that they would give themselves to all that Christ has done in His life, in His crucifixion, in His death, and even in His resurrection. Would you move among us this morning and do that, we pray. And Father, as we see this picture again of baptism, would you impress upon those who believe the depths of the realities that we enjoy because of Jesus. As we walk throughout this week, may we turn to Him again and again. May we too forsake our own efforts and our own powers. And may we turn to Christ and all that He has done for us. And may that be evidenced in our daily lives and relationships. Father, would you do this glorious work within us? We're so thankful for all that you've done. And we pray this in Jesus' name.